Hello and welcome to another episode of the Strange Matters Podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that is bizarre, mysterious, and unexplained. I'm Sean, and I'll be the host for this episode. In this episode, I will be discussing one of the most sadistic and cruel serial killers in American history. David Parker Ray, commonly known by his nickname of the Toy Box Killer, was a suspected serial killer, rapist, and torturer of women. His crimes were believed to have spanned several decades, as he took special care to ensure that he would never be caught. David Parker Ray earned his notorious nickname because of the personal torture house he built, a customized truck trailer that was filled with dozens of weapons and tools used to inflict harm. This soundproof trailer, the place where he would imprison women for days and weeks at a time, was referred to by David Parker Ray as his toy box. In this episode, I will be going over the history of David Parker Ray and go into details of his crimes, as well as the events and investigations that would eventually bring about his downfall. Before we get started, I'd like to give a warning that due to the extreme nature of David Parker Ray's crimes that include kidnapping, torture, rape, and murder, the listener discretion is advised. With that said, it's time to talk about the story of the Toy Box Killer. On March 22nd, 1999, a middle-aged female homeowner in Elephant Butte, New Mexico, was sitting in her mobile trailer when she heard the sounds of someone shouting and running outside. To her complete shock, a person ran straight into her house through the open front door and collapsed onto the floor. The panicked individual was a young woman, completely naked and drenched in blood, with a metal choke collar padlocked around her neck. The scared and exhausted woman shut and locked the door behind her before pleading for help, prompting the homeowner to call the police. This shocking event would be the catalyst that would soon uncover the crimes of one of the most disturbing serial criminals in American history. The police arrived and took this woman away to a nearby hospital to tend to her wounds and begin their questioning. The story that this young woman told was almost too dark and disturbing to be real. 22-year-old Cynthia Vigil began to describe the events that had taken place over the past several days. Cynthia admitted to working in Albuquerque as a prostitute, where she was picked up by a man who offered her $20 for her services. Upon entering his vehicle, the man instead flashed a fake police badge and quickly placed her in handcuffs. At first, Cynthia believed she was under arrest, but the reality of what was really happening slowly started to creep in on her as she observed the man drive out of the city and away from the nearby police precincts. Miles outside Albuquerque, the man stopped his car at an RV, where a woman came out to assist the man in gagging and shackling the frightened woman. Now completely helpless, Cynthia was thrown back into the vehicle, and once again, the man began driving. In the car, the man taunted and threatened Cynthia. She would later remark about his demeanor, saying, The way he talked... I didn't feel like this was his first time. It was like he knew what he was doing. He told me I was never going to see my family again. He told me he would kill me, like the others. For hours, they drove away from civilization, seemingly into the middle of nowhere. Eventually, they stopped, this time outside a mobile trailer. As the man and woman pulled Cynthia out of the car and dragged her inside, she had no idea what her fate would be over the next few terrifying days. Once inside, Cynthia was chained down onto a medical-style bed. As the man and woman left the trailer, 
The man got out a tape recorder. He pushed play and left Cynthia alone in the trailer. In the darkness, gagged and chained down. Cynthia was completely helpless as she was forced to listen to the horrifying details of the audio tape, in which the voice of the man who abducted her went into great details of what he had planned to do. In the next segment, I'm going to read some of the transcript of this tape that David Parker Ray would play for his victims, including Cynthia Vigil. I'm not going to read the whole thing, as it's very long and contains an extreme amount of graphic and explicit detail. However, for those who have the dark curiosity to read the whole thing and believe you can stomach it, the full transcript is available online. I'd like to give yet another warning that the transcript of this audio tape is very disturbing and unsettling, so for any listeners who would rather not hear what David has to say to his victims, feel free to skip ahead a few minutes. The audio tape that David Parker Ray would play for each new victim goes as such. Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrist and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture, because this tape is being created July 23, 1993, as a general advisory tape for future female captives. The information I'm going to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. Now, you're obviously here against your will, totally helpless, don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose and know that you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped, and you're fucking sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because, basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kind of far out? Well, I suppose it is to the uninitiated. But we do it all the time. It's going to take a lot of adjustment on your part, and you're not going to like it a fucking bit. But I don't give a big rat's ass about that. It's not like you're going to have any choice in the matter. You've been taken by force, and you're going to be kept and used by force. What all this amounts to is that you're going to be kept naked and chained up like an animal, to be used and abused any time we want to, any way that we want to. And you might as well start getting used to it, because you're going to be kept here and used until such time as we get tired of fucking around with you. And we will, eventually in a month or two, maybe three. It's no big deal. My lady friend and I have been keeping sex slaves for years. You're going to be kept in a hidden slave room. It is relatively soundproof, escape-proof, and it is completely stocked with devices and equipment to satisfy our sexual fetishes and deviations. The collar will never be removed until you are turned loose. It is a permanent fixture. The hidden playroom, where you're going to be kept, has steel walls, floors, and ceiling. It is virtually soundproof and has a steel door with two keyed locks. The hinges are welded on, and there are two heavy deadbolts on the outside. The room is totally escape-proof, even with tools. Anytime you are left unattended in the room, your wrist will be chained and there are electric sensors to it to let us know if you move around too much. And if that's not enough, there is a closed-circuit TV system with a surveillance camera. If everybody knew how much fun it was to keep sex slaves, half the women would be chained up in somebody's basement. 
Now I'm sure that you're a great little piece of ass, and you're going to be a lot of fun to play with, but I will get tired of you eventually. If I killed every bitch that we kidnapped, there'd be bodies strung up all over the country. And besides, I don't like killing a girl, unless it's absolutely necessary. So I've devised a safe, alternate method of disposal. I had plenty of bitches to practice on over the years, so I've pretty well got it down pat. And I enjoy doing it. I get off on mind games. After we get completely through with you, you're going to be drugged up real heavy, with a combination of sodium pentothal and phenobarbital. They are both hypnotic drugs that will make you extremely susceptible to hypnosis, auto-hypnosis, and hypnotic suggestion. You're going to be kept drugged a couple days while I play with your mind. By the time I get through with brainwashing you, you're not going to remember a fucking thing about this adventure. You won't remember this place, us, or what happened to you. There won't be any DNA evidence because you'll be bathed. You'll be dressed, sedated, and turned loose on some country road, bruised, sore all over, but nothing that won't heal up in a week or two. The thought of being brainwashed may not be appealing to you, but we've been doing it for a long time, and it works. And it's the lesser of two evils. I'm sure that you would prefer that, in lieu of being strangled or having your throat cut. Be nice, keep your mouth shut, learn the rules, and survive. We are into S&M, and you're going to hurt a little bit, but everything we do to a girl is designed to cause pain, not injury. There is a big difference. No matter how painful it is, nothing that we plan to do to your body will cause any serious or permanent damage. I'm not lying to you or trying to make it sound easier, because that would be pointless. I'm just telling it like it is. That's the way we do things, and that's the way it's going to be, unless we have problems with you. A lot of it will not be very pleasant for you, but you might as well get used to it, because it's going to be like it for a while. Eventually, things will settle down a little. Then, just take it day by day. Well, I believe I've told you everything I can. I cannot predict the future. I can't predict changes of procedure. But if this tape is being played for you, I have to assume that it is still reasonably accurate. And I can only give you advice. Be smart and be a survivor. Don't ever scream. Don't talk without permission. Be very quiet. Be docile and obedient and, by all means, show proper respect. Have a nice day. That was a brief excerpt of the tape that David Parker Ray would play for his victims. The full tape was said by Cynthia to be around 20 minutes long and went into great detail what David had planned for his victims. After being abducted and taken to the trailer, Cynthia would spend the next three days getting tortured and sexually abused by the man and woman. Cynthia would tell police that she had been exposed to electric shocks and George being cattle prodded, whipped, and assaulted with various medical instruments and sex objects. She had been raped repeatedly by the unknown man. Cynthia got to the point where she was all too certain that soon the man would get tired of her and that she was going to be killed. After three long days, Cynthia finally and miraculously caught a break. The accomplice woman had been in the trailer with Cynthia when she briefly walked out and left her alone. Cynthia noticed that the woman had left several items on the bedside table, including the keys to the shackles. After some effort, Cynthia just managed to reach the keys and frantically began to unlock the various iron locks binding her limbs. Cynthia went up to the trailer's phone and tried calling 911. However, at that exact moment, the woman returned. The woman grabbed a nearby lamp and smashed it over Cynthia's head. A hectic fight ensued, in which the woman attempted to control Cynthia and keep her from leaving the trailer. Though abused, sore, and exhausted, Cynthia managed to fight back, 
After several moments of fighting, Cynthia reached out and grabbed a nearby object that had fallen on the floor during the scuffle, which turned out to be an ice pick. Cynthia stabbed the woman in the neck with the ice pick, which caused her to drop to the ground. Finally, the way out of the trailer and to freedom outside was left open to Cynthia. She bolted out of the trailer and began running down the road through the New Mexican desert. Though she had no idea where she was, how far she would have to go before finding help, she just kept running and putting distance between her and the trailer. After running for several miles down the road, a car approached her. The woman driving slowed down, but upon seeing a naked Cynthia covered in blood screaming, she locked the door and sped off. After some more time, another car approached, but the male driver simply swerved around Cynthia as she attempted to flag the vehicle down, and he also drove off. As she ran down the road, Cynthia spotted a few houses on the side, but they appeared locked or empty, so she didn't bother to stop. Instead, she just kept running. After some time, eventually, Cynthia spotted a mobile home with an open front door. Making up her mind, she ran to it and stumbled right inside, calling for help. Finally, Cynthia felt that she would be saved. Shortly later that same day, Cynthia was able to provide the police the directions back to the trailer from where she was found. Coincidentally enough, however, multiple police officers had already arrived at the scene of the isolated trailer in the middle of the desert. Though Cynthia's emergency 911 call had been interrupted and cut off almost immediately, the dispatcher felt like a fight or a struggle must have been occurring and sent several police officers to investigate. Once it was clear that this location matched the description given by Cynthia, the police at the scene arrested the man and the woman who lived in the nearby mobile home. They would be identified as David Parker Ray and his girlfriend, Cindy Hendy. David and Cindy were separated and questioned, and both told the same story. They claimed that Cynthia was a heroin addict, and that rather than shackling her for their sick sexual desires, instead they were actually just trying to help her detox. This story was short-lived, however, as the police quickly got a search warrant and entered the trailer, where Cynthia claimed to have been kept prisoner. Once inside, the police knew right away which story was true. The trailer was filled with chains, handcuffs, photographs of multiple helpless victims on the walls, cameras, a notebook filled with drawn pictures of how David Ray planned to torture his victims. There's various restraints, pulleys, whips, and countless sexual torture devices, even a coffin. Also inside the trailer, the investigators discovered a broken lamp, which matched Cynthia's description of the one used to strike her, and there was clear evidence of a recent struggle. They also came across the fake police badge that David had used, and his written instructions to Cindy for watching the victim while he was away. The clothing that Cynthia had been wearing when David and Cindy had picked her up was there as well. They also found the disturbing audio tape that Cynthia described that David had made to play for his victims. One of the most shocking and damning pieces of evidence was a videotape of another woman being tortured by the couple. It would eventually be discovered that David Parker Ray had spent several years and up to $100,000 in converting the standard mobile trailer into his private sexual torture dungeon. David and his girlfriend Cindy were arrested on assault and kidnap charges. The local police had never encountered anything like this before, and had no idea just how disturbing and frustrating the investigation would be. While it seemed obvious that David and his accomplice were serial rapists, from the audio tape and David's threats to Cynthia, it was highly suspected that he was a serial killer as well. 
As the investigation began, the police and reporters alike seek to learn more about David Parker Ray to understand how a person could do such monstrous acts. David had been born in Belen, New Mexico, in 1939. David and his younger sister Peggy were raised by their grandfather. Occasionally, throughout his childhood, David's father would come by to stay briefly with the family. His violent and alcoholic father would often go into drunken rages and would take out his anger by beating David viciously. At the same time, David's father would also bring his young son pornographic magazines depicting sadomasochist acts. David's sister Peggy would later remember finding disturbing drawings that David had made that also depicted bondage and cruel sex acts on women. Though he was described as being handsome as a teenager, he was extremely shy around girls. Because of this, David was bullied often throughout high school. In his teenage solitude, he started to abuse alcohol and drugs, and his fantasies of sexual assaults and torture started to surface. He graduated from high school, though just barely, as he received low Ds in the majority of his classes. After high school, he joined the Army, working as a general mechanic. He would eventually leave the Army after receiving an honorable discharge. Though he worked occasionally as an auto mechanic, David was unemployed for most of the time during his eventual crime spree. David Parker Ray would get married four times in his life, with all four marriages ending in divorce. He would have two children, including Glenda, Jean, and Jesse Ray, who would live with David. Ray would confess to his first wife that he committed his first murder as a young teenager. Ray told his wife that he had tied a woman to a tree, tortured her, and then finally killed her. However, there's no proof to back up this claim. After his arrest, reporters asked many people in the area to describe David. They learned from those who knew him that he seemed like a regular guy. No one reported having any trouble with him. He had no criminal record, and there had never been any suspicions about what he might be doing on his property. If there was one issue in the early investigation for the police, it was that the prosecutors worried that Cynthia would be seen as a not-so-credible witness. She was a self-admitted prostitute, and though she had been found covered in bruises and welts, they feared it could be hard to determine for sure that she had been held there against her will as both David and Cindy insisted that she had voluntarily been involved in the extreme sex acts. However, just as stories of the disturbing events had been published in the local newspapers, another woman came forward with her own dark story. Angelica Montano told police that she had also been kidnapped, raped, and tortured by David and Cindy for three days, before finally being drugged and left by a highway out in the desert. She was actually an acquaintance of David and Cindy, and she later told police that she had entered their home on February 17th looking for a cake mix. David had briefly left the house before coming back and threatening Angelica with a knife, telling her that she was being kidnapped. His girlfriend Cindy brandished a gun at the same moment. Angelica knew then that she was in trouble. They grabbed her, bound her, and stripped her, just as they later did with Cynthia, the pair chained Angelica onto a table and placed a metal collar on her neck. She would be jolted with severe electrical shocks and abused with various sexual implements. David would also force himself upon her multiple times. This ordeal went on for three days, she claimed, at which point she was taken from the main trailer to the smaller one, David's toy box. There she was repeatedly tortured even more, the entire time Angelica begging the couple to release her. 
Finally, on the fourth day, she managed to persuade them to let her go. They drugged Angelica and took her miles away before leaving her on the side of the road, out in the desert. Scared and confused, Angelica stumbled around the road until a police officer picked her up. She reported to the police what happened to her, but the report against David and Cindy was apparently filed away without any follow-up for unknown reasons. Angelica decided to once again pursue action against the couple after she had seen that the two of them had been arrested. The police thoroughly searched the couple's double-wide trailer before turning their attention to the half-acre of land on which David's trailer stood. They found bone fragments, though these would later be determined to be animal bones. The next month, the FBI had 100 agents on the job, fanning out into Arizona and Texas, searching for potential victims and witnesses. The FBI had given the case the highest priority, even sending profilers from the Behavioral Analyst Unit. Investigators would eventually find a third witness and victim, the woman that was on the videotape that they had found in the toy box. Fortunately, the video showed a tattoo on her ankle, which helped identify the victim. Kelly Garrett, who was from Colorado, had been married just a few days before she would be kidnapped by David Parker Ray and his daughter, Jesse Ray. Jesse Ray, who was friends with Kelly, took her to a bar and drugged the beer that she was drinking. Later that night, Kelly stumbled out of the bar, at which time David snuck up behind her and hit her on the back of the head. She was taken back to the toy box and was subjected to torture and rape for three days before being drugged and left on the side of the road near her in-law's home. Kelly Garrett's in-laws assumed that she had been on a drug binge, and she was still too confused to recall exactly what had happened. As a result, her in-laws asked her to leave, and she returned home to Colorado. As time went on, she remembered more and more about her ordeal, but she still suffered from amnesia. During this time, a friend of Cindy Hendy came forward and described a time that she had told him under the influence of alcohol that she'd participated in several attacks with David Parker Ray, admitting that these acts gave her an adrenaline rush. She confided to this friend that there was four to six people who they had killed, dismembered, and had tossed into Elephant Butte Lake together. He didn't believe her at the time, but once the story broke, it suddenly seemed all too real. And so he went to the police and reporters to give them this information. As it turned out, while in custody, Cindy Hendy was quick to turn on David Parker Ray. In exchange for a considerably reduced sentence, she provided details of David's alleged murders, which, according to her, totaled 14. Cindy also talked about a time that David told her about where he had once killed a business partner from Phoenix, a man named Billy Bowers. She said that David told her that he had dumped the body into a lake, but learned that he eventually came back up. The murder of Billy Bowers had been an unsolved crime at the time of David Parker Ray's arrest. After the body of Billy turned back up, Cindy said David had learned to open the stomachs of people he killed, so they would be submerged easily in the lake, and they would stay down. Cindy claimed that David had disposed of many bodies in the lake and in ravines around south-central New Mexico. While she told prosecutors where the bodies had been dumped, no remains or bones would ever be found. Cindy also gave additional details of some of the different ways that David would torture his victims, which included using a mirror that was mounted onto the ceiling. This mirror was positioned above the gynecologist-type table that David used to strap his victims to, so that they would be able to see all that was being done to them. 
David will also put his victims in a wooden contraption that he had built himself, which bent them over and immobilized them, where they would be raped by himself, some of his friends, and reportedly even his dogs. Cindy also gave up the names of several other accomplices, which turned out to be David's own daughter, Glenda Jesse Ray, and a man named Dennis Roy Yancey. According to Cindy, Jesse Ray and Dennis Yancey had participated in the murder of Dennis's ex-girlfriend, a 22-year-old woman named Marie Parker. After learning this, the police brought Dennis Yancey in for questioning. Dennis Yancey eventually admitted to being present when David Parker Ray and his daughter, Jesse, kidnapped Marie Parker and took her to the toy box. After three days of torture, David and Jesse told Yancey to kill her, which he did so by strangling her with a rope. Dennis Yancey said that he was forced into killing Marie by David, who then threatened to kill Dennis if he ever told anyone about it. For her part, David's daughter Jessie Ray denied having anything to do with the crimes of her father, or for helping with any of the abductions, or having taken part of the abduction and murder of Marie Parker. Eventually, the trials for all four of them would begin. Cindy Handy was sentenced to 36 years as agreed to in the plea bargain, in exchange for testifying against David Parker Ray during his trials. Dennis Roy Yancey received two 15-year sentences for second-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder against his ex-girlfriend, Marie Parker. David's daughter, Jessie Ray, was found guilty of kidnapping women for sexual torture and was sentenced to nine years in prison, six of which could be served out of prison and on parole. As for the mastermind behind it all, the prosecutor decided that David Parker Ray would be tried separately for each victim, Cynthia Vigil, Angelica Montano, and Kelly Garrett. Though it would seem to be a pretty easy case, considering the amount of evidence found at David's residence, as well as the testimonies of his girlfriend Cindy and his victims, Cynthia, Angelica, and Kelly, it turned out to be anything but smooth trials. Each of the trials would eventually end up hitting roadblocks. The trial involving Cynthia Vigil wound up ending in a mistrial by the judge, as not all the jury were persuaded that the testifying victims had been held against their will. With the second trial, Angelica Montano unfortunately died of a drug overdose shortly before it began, and therefore the trial wasn't conducted at all. Kelly Garrett's trial went on without a conviction. During the beginning of Cynthia Vigil's retrial, the judge suddenly passed away, and the case was delayed for another few months. Finally, it got back on track, and David was charged and found guilty of 12 counts of kidnapping, sexual abuse, and conspiracy. Shortly after the second trial for Kelly Garrett was started, at this point David Parker Ray seemingly had enough. Eventually, the cases against him would come to a close, as David decided to finally put a stop to the trials by taking a plea bargain. David Parker Ray would end up opting for a plea deal, through which he was sentenced to 224 years in prison. As part of this plea deal, he made sure that his daughter would receive a reduced sentence. David Parker Ray would be diagnosed with paraphilia, a psychosexual disorder. He was categorized as an organized lust killer. While he only had three confirmed victims, it was strongly believed, based on the testimony of Cindy Hendy, that he had 14 victims, with the possibility with as many as 60. David would target mostly prostitutes, or young females that he or his accomplice would be able to discreetly kidnap. It is thought that his crime spree spanned from the 1950s up until 1999, when Cynthia would end up escaping. Upon taking the plea deal, it would seem that justice would be served, 
and that David Parker Ray would end up serving the rest of his life several times over from his prison sentence. As it turned out, however, David Parker Ray would not spend a single day in prison for his crimes. In 2002, just three years after his arrest and right after taking the plea bargain, David was loaded onto a police transport and was being sent to Leah County Correctional Facility to enter the prison's general population. During the car trip, David suffered from a massive heart attack and quickly died in the vehicle. He would pass away at the age of 62 years old. And with that, the case against David Parker Ray abruptly came to a dead end. While officially charged with multiple crimes against Cynthia Vigil, the full extent of David's crime spree would never be known. At the end of the case, there were no bodies to be found, no additional victims, living or dead, that could be identified, and no other deaths that could be linked to David Parker Ray. In November of 2002, David's prized toy box was open to the public. The obstetrical table was still there, complete with clamps, lug stretchers, electrical wires, straps, and chains. The hope of allowing public access to the toy box was that it would lead to more surviving victims to come forward. Unfortunately, no other victims would end up coming out. Though it has been theorized that David Parker Ray could possibly have as many as 60 women whom he kidnapped and tortured in his toy box, over the years since his arrest, no one besides the three confirmed victims of Cynthia Vigil, Angelica Montano, and Kelly Garrett are known for sure. It is impossible to say how many women he killed, or how many others he released after a period of imprisonment. Though David Parker Ray is typically referred to as a serial killer, in reality this can't actually be confirmed. In fact, the only confirmed death that was produced out of the toy box was performed by David's accomplice Dennis Yancey, not David himself. Though the survivors of David Parker Ray may not have seen the man responsible for their crimes serve out his time in prison, Cynthia Vigil and Kelly Garrett would eventually form relationships and start families, stating that they had put the dark times of their past behind them. Regardless of the lack of confirmed knowledge of his victims, David Parker Ray is considered one of the most sadistic and cruel criminals in American history. Many sources peg him as a serial killer, even with the absence of any known bodies or remains to prove that. The life and crimes of David Parker Ray sound almost too dark and disturbing to be reality. It is almost impossible to comprehend the actions of this man, someone who dedicated his entire life to building a torture dungeon where he would carry out unspeakable acts of sexual violence without remorse or regret. While many may feel cheated that David Parker Ray died before spending any time rotting away in jail, if there is any silver lining in this case, it is that he was at least caught during his lifetime. The importance and bravery of Cynthia Vigil's escape cannot be overstated, as through her courageous actions, Cynthia was finally able to bring about the end of David Parker Ray's decades-long crime spree, and no doubt saved many other women from suffering a similar fate of being captured by the toy box killer. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Strange Matters podcast. If you have your own feedback on this episode about David Parker Ray, or if you have suggestions for future episodes, feel free to write into the show at our email, strangematterspodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out and follow the podcast through our social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Finally, ask if you're listening to the show on iTunes, please take time to leave a rating and a review. Until the next episode of the Strange Matters podcast, take care, everybody.